Hello, and welcome to SoberCast, where we provide AA speaker meetings and workshops in podcast format. We're an ad-free podcast, and if you enjoy listening, please help us be self-supporting by visiting SoberCast.com, look for the donate link, and drop a dollar or two into our virtual basket. We hope you enjoy the podcast. Have a great day. All right. Well, thank you very much. I want to thank uh, Danielle, who is the chair of the committee, for all his hard work. Also, Marjorie and Pat, my contacts on the committee, who are so uh, gracious and clear in their communication. Yay. Uh, Renee for um, suggesting that I come and do this. And uh, Mark and Nancy for picking me up at the airport, even though I had an Al-Anon moment. No, no, I can get to the hotel by myself. And Pat reminded me to let people be of service, so thanks so much for that, Pat. Also, Pam and David for interpreting my words. Thank you so much. Um, I've heard it said that service is the highest form of worship, so I am so happy to have the opportunity to be of service and you serving yourselves uh, by being here. Um, you know, it's it's interesting being here with so many people on the AA side. There's a, a sort of a saying that a room full of alcoholics, even sober ones, is like an open bar to an Allen honor. <laughs> <clears throat> and uh, it, it's, of course, a very flippant way of acknowledging the tension that can be between us. Um, there's a, a member in Oakland, uh, just a terrific guy who was in AA for quite some time and then uh, came to Al-Anon and seems to work great, two great programs. And he said, um, I love Al-Anon. I work hard, but uh, it's not always easy being in the room. And sometimes it's uncomfortable because my bite matches your wounds. <clears throat> and of course, you know, cracked open, you know, what used to be of my hardened little black nugget of a heart, um, which still sometimes gets uh, small and dark. But the reason I keep coming back is because of the courage of people who tell the truth and uh, are willing to get to the heart of the matter, which he did. And um, what he reminded me of is that although there are differences between us, I can focus on the similarities between us instead of um, how I'm different from you and you're different from me. So for me, Alan is a program of mercy, it's a program of forgiveness, and it's a program of redemption, and I found all three of those things here. Um, Often in Al-Anon, when we're asked to speak, someone says, oh, you know, please come and share your story. And I have to be very careful with that because part of my problem was the attachment that I had to a big story. Um, and, you know, I could tell it in my sleep. It was wrapped up. I mean, there was gift wrap and... I mean, it had bows on it and the whole deal, and I was very attached to it, and it was a problem for me. Um, in the story, I was both the victim and the heroine, uh, but it was what, what had happened to me that other people did to me, and it was all their fault. And I under, coming to a deeper understanding of how different that is from the other fellowship who are encouraged actually in the big book to tell their story. 
Um, and maybe there was more secrecy about that for a lot of Allen owners. Oh, no, no, we, we've been jabbing about our problems and what you've done to us uh, the whole time um, with not a lot of secrecy about our complaints. Uh, I know that was true for me. And so um, I just I have to be very careful with not being particularly attached. The other thing about letting go of that is that One, I've come to understand that God is never in the details. And so if I stay out of the details, you know, the likelihood that God will show up is greater for me. Also, I'm special, but I am not unique, as my sponsor has said to me over and over again. And so what happened to me truly isn't all that different than what happened to you. Different places, different dates, different names, different faces, but I'm just not that unique. Uh, so I think that for me, letting go of the story has helped me move away from it and my past, move away from my past in a way that I needed to move away from. So I, I like um, other people's words who just seem to say things that um, in a more clear way. Um, so I'm going to say about my past, which is um, written here and just speaks to me. It is the rage that built up in me, being a child ignored in my own home with no one to go to for protection, my anger at having reversed roles with my parents and at having to be their parent, how burdened I felt carrying their painful emotions for them because they were unable to own them. I lived with a hurt because they felt fine and could not feel their own feelings. So as a result of that, if you're not feeling your feelings, I feel them for you. And that is a problem for me. And I have to be very careful of, uh, you know, being with people who are not having their own feelings because, oh, I just want to have them for them. And uh, that's one of the things that I um, have needed to stop doing as part of my recovery, to recognize when someone else isn't having their feelings and make a decision right, so I'm not going to have theirs for them. Um, the other thing is that in terms of the story, one of the things I've heard is keep talking, just don't keep saying the same thing. And that story is the same thing over and over and over again. And, you know, really, I just bore myself. I can't stand it. So, um, and sometimes you bore me too, honestly. <laughs> When you're saying the same thing over and over again, it's like, okay, um, let's move along. Um, and, and, and also connected that is, I love this saying, if I don't work all of the steps, I work part of the first and twelfth, which is my life is unmanageable and I'd like to tell you all about it. Um, again, boring. Um, but what brought me into Al-Anon is that... Um, I had a very difficult time in my family, and when I left my family, um, I continued to have a difficult time, which is not a surprise to most of you here. I continued to act the same way that I acted when I was in my family, um, as if the same danger that was in my family was with everybody that I met. And um, I spent 
I, I left my family at a relatively early age, um, but spent a handful of years really just hopping, whether it was into bed or into love, with every alcoholic that uh, passed my way, pretty much. And by 25, I was just, I can't stand this, I can't stand this, i got to stop doing this. And so I fell in love with someone who was not an alcoholic, um, and we made a life together for 18 years. And as my sponsor said, we got an awful lot right. And I chalk that up to sometimes even though we're very, very sick, we get very, very lucky. And I did get lucky. I got lucky with my job as well, very lucky, even though I was very sick. And um, But I was sick throughout the whole relationship. Um, I was still sick, and I didn't recognize that I, um, how sick I was or that I needed to get better and there was a way to get better. And at some point, very abruptly, I just knew that I needed to leave that relationship. And because I didn't have any skills at all, I set her hair on fire on the way out the door, and um, everything crashed down. It was a big life, and there was a loss of family and friends, and you know, you know, right? Um, so I don't even remember how I got to an Al-Anon meeting. I don't remember Googling it. I, I don't know how, but I got there. And people talk about coming in on your knees, and I would say I slithered in, um, probably, you know, on my belly. I was in rough shape. I was um, I was a bottom. And it was a small little meeting, and... I cried every time I went to any meeting for, you know, at least weeks, if not months. Just cried, cried, cried. And at one point, it was funny, in this little meeting, the secretary didn't show up, and someone said, oh, would you like to secretary? And I just, I said, oh, I don't have anything to offer. You know, shows you what I thought of myself at that time. And I don't mind remembering those things because I can mark my recovery when I remember the things that I said at the beginning. And so for newcomers, you know, when you feel like crap, I mean, we're not here because everything is going well. You know, we did not come to Al-Anon because our lives were fabulous. You know, most of us were circling the drain in one form or another. And so if that's where you are now and that's what you are what you are feeling, you know, if you stick around, it's going to get better. Um, I mean, if my life could get better, I figure anybody's life can get better. And you will look back on this time, and you will be able to mark your progress and mark your recovery with a self-esteem that perhaps you don't have today and the pride. So, um, you know, I, I was in pretty bad shape, but the gift of that was um, the writing was on the wall. It, the, my powerlessness, I really didn't have to struggle to get what powerlessness was. I was just, everything was a mess. It was like, uh, an implosion and the wreckage around me was significant. Um, so yeah, the gift was 
I could no longer pretend that I was doing well and that um, what I was doing was working. Um, so I was very open to step one. Uh, my life was clearly unmanageable, and I was powerless over fixing it or fixing anybody or anything. And so I uh, clearly was ready. Um, and I was willing. And what I like to say is that I'm in charge of my willingness, and God is in charge of my readiness. So all I can do is become willing, but I cannot will myself into readiness. And I have tried, um, and I can't do it. And if you are doing it, great. Um, So, you know, with the powerlessness and understanding that I'm no longer in charge, um, I came to understand what... My life had been like thinking that I was in charge of both myself and you. And I have to think of things in the absolute strongest terms. So I cannot have a little, like, nice little slogan about something. I mean, it has to be hard for me to get it and for me to remember it. So I have to think about every time I step on your path and think I know what's best for you, I'm stealing uh, and I'm a thief. I have to think about thing, those things in those terms, or I will allow, I will just cheat my way into doing it again. So I have to remember I'm stealing when I try and take away something that belongs to you, whether it's your right to succeed, to fail, to make a mistake. Every time I intervene with something that I think is helpful, I'm stealing from you. And I just didn't want to be a thief anymore. Um, so I wanted to get better. And I heard this woman, actually, we went to, uh, uh, we traveled up to, I think this was in Portland. Uh, Renee and I were at a meeting, and this woman just said, I am so tired of being the sheriff in town. You know, I want to hang up my spurs. I just want to be the gardener. And I love that. I love that. I love the image, and she was just done. Or at least she was done that day, because that's how it works sometimes. <laughs> Um, so because I took to step one pretty well in terms of getting that I was not in charge and that all my efforts to be in charge had landed me into a seat in an Al-Anon room, um, I was open to believing that there had to be something greater than me that was operating. And so I was lucky. Um, I was open to that. I grew up in a faith tradition where people talked about God, and my family went to uh, services, and people talked about God, but I never remember anybody talking about a personal relationship that they had with God. So it was something way up there. I didn't know anybody that that had a personal relationship with God. So Al-Anon was the first place I heard people talking about that and sort of, you know, showing up in the rooms with their higher power, which for me I call God. Um, And I was open to it, and I was able to accept that. That was one of the, the first, you know, all of this is miraculous, but that was one of the first things, to be able to accept that there was something bigger at work and that I um, 
was willing to enter into some kind of discovery or dialogue about that. Um, one of the first things, I don't even know why I did it, but I wrote this little, um, on a tiny slip of paper, I wrote a prayer down which said that my prayer was to love myself as much as my higher power loves me. And I stuck that in my nightstand drawer so that when I went to get a book, blah, 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 I would open the drawer and there it would be and I would see it and I would say, well, that sounds nice. Yes, still my prayer. But the nature of my nightstand is that things shift and move around and as time went by, all of a sudden it would like be on the top in the top of my nightstand drawer, and I realized, oh, God, I hadn't seen that in a couple of days. Yes, it's still my prayer. And sometimes it would be weeks, and sometimes it would be months, but that piece of paper just kept popping up as I would rifle through, you know, the garbage that was in that drawer. And um, time went by. I can't tell you how much time went by that I looked at that piece of paper. Oh, this could make me cry. And I realized that my prayer had come true. And it was just working the steps and getting into a relationship, a deeper relationship with my higher power and my recovery. And I kept it in there even after my prayer had come true. And then eventually I looked at it and I said, it's so true, you can go in recycling. Because it was just starting to make me nuts, popping up and down. Um, and and I was I was finished with it. Uh, that piece. And so uh, my relationship with God is um, important. I, I like the um, when people say that prayer is talking to God and meditation is listening to God. I probably talk to God because I'm a chatty Kathy um, more than I listen. But when I need help, I listen. Um, and I listened last night when I was tossing and turning and I heard God say, you're ready. I thought, okay, then I can stop um, um, doing so much worrying. The other thing that's helped me in that relationship is um, finding solutions. I am not a professional ice skater, but my uh, solutions usually involve a triple Lutz. I mean, my thinking is so complicated that when I have a problem, it is... Uh, you know, involves a plane, a train, a bicycle. You know, it's like this... The solution is just my brain makes it super, super complicated. It's like an ice skating maneuver. And when God is speaking, the answer is incredibly simple. I mean, there's no public transportation, no private transportation involved at all. It's just pretty straight up, much more simple than I could come up with my own. So that's how I know the difference in who's coming up with a solution and who's really helping. Um, I also uh, like that I heard that uh, God won't take me anywhere. She can't protect me. So that that means I can trust my God, that I'm not going to be asked or called to do something from God where I'm going to be out, you know, hanging in the wind, because uh, I don't think that's how it works. Um, and I also love I heard um, from somebody, my higher power can't wait for me to get up in the morning. I may not want to get up in the morning, but I know that my higher power can't wait for me to get up because plans are in store for me. Now, I may not listen to them, but they're, they're, they're there. Um, in terms of turning my will and my 
life over the care of God, you know, wouldn't that be great if it was a one and done, but I know that it's not. Um, it's over and over again. And it took me years when I was in recovery to remember God. It was like that V8 commercial. Oh, I could have asked God. Oh, I could have talked to God. I mean, I would forget that God was there because it was new and that's how it worked for me. And it's not like that anymore, but it's taken years to be in communion where, um, it's not necessarily a formal, I'm talking, I'm listening, but that I feel God with me all the time. And that has taken care of that God-sized hole that I wanted you to fill. And now I have the right shape, you know, for the empty space that was there. And that is just having that presence with me um, and that I'm aware that's God, that God is with me all the time, even if we're not in active conversation, and that I'm being held. And um, in one of our readings in our literature, there's, a, um, there's something that really spoke to me the first time I heard it, which was an image of, um, the reading says, something like, um, I put my problems in God's loving hands, uh, you know, one by one, and then I climb in, and I have this image for myself, and this is what it looks like for me, and it's just huge sitting figure with arms that are wrapped, and I put, you know, every one of you that are causing me trouble, you know, in you go, every situation, every problem, you know, everything, and then I climb in, and then the arms kind of close, and that's really my... um a lot of my prayer is just needing to be held and and having the comfort and the parenting that I didn't get as a child growing up is what I found in my relationship with my higher power. Um, so that kept me, and I had some, I had sponsors while I was doing this, um, but they were. You know, sponsors who either didn't have a lot of time, weren't so available, um, and I knew when I was coming up on the fourth step that this was going to, because I was seriously sick, going to need, you know, somebody who was really paying attention here. And um, so I I knew I needed a different, um, a, a new sponsor for that. And the good news is I had some skills, so I didn't have to light anybody's hair on fire when I left a um, as a sponsor relationship, I could communicate clearly that I needed something else and I was going to move along and, and I didn't make any messes and, and kept all of those, uh, relationships intact. But I was looking for a sponsor for step four and I went to a meeting in Berkeley. Oh, and this, so this was, they used a timer. It was a tag meeting. You had to stand. I mean, don't even get me started on that stuff. But um, this woman stood up at a meeting, and she says, she's talking, and she says, um, if I don't ask for what I need, I'll try and steal it later. I was like, oh. The first thing I thought was, you know, holy shit, who says that out loud? <laughs> that was the first thought, like, have you no shame? Um, so, and the second thing I thought was, who knows that about themselves? And the third thing I thought was, I want what she has. And so I asked her to be my sponsor, and um, she said no, but then eventually she said yes uh, through through some circumstances. But um, she uh, 
we did the fourth and fifth step together. Now, I was a step-a-year gal for a long, long time because I, I like to say I took the scenic route. So by the time I was at four, I had been in three years, and we spent over two years on the Blueprint for Progress. And now that I have sponsees who do the same thing, I know exactly how she feels, and I'm thinking, put a giddy-up in your step, will you? But she did not say that for me, uh, to me, and we went through it, and it was rough. We met every two weeks for over two years, and it took me a week to get over being aggravated with her because I did not like what she said most of the time. So I spent a week being aggravated the first week, and then a week saying, oh, God, she was right about everything. Um, and I just answered, you know, one, two, or three questions, but I worked very, very hard. Um, and, you know, what I want to say about that is we have a saying, look, but don't stare. And the only reason we look back to our past is to let go of it. There is no other reason for that and not to stare, just to look. And do it with someone that can show you how to look without staring. And I could never have done this fourth step work on my own. Um, she said to me at one point, you know, Everything that you talk about in terms of pretty much everything you've ever said and done, there are two columns. There are felonies and there are misdemeanors, and there's nothing else. Everything you talk about, it's like you've, you're, you've committed crimes. And I believe that I was the sum total of every shitty thing I had ever said and every shitty thing I had ever done, and that was it. That was who I was. And when she pointed that out, um, you know, I understood a little bit better um, that that's how I understood myself, but I no longer wanted to understand myself in that same way, that it was skewed, it wasn't right, and that she was talking to me about balance, and I couldn't possibly be the horrible person that I thought I was. Um, and she would say to me all the time, this program is not about becoming a good person, and it took me a long time to understand what she meant because I thought that was exactly what it was. I am trying to become a good person. And, and you know, I would nod my head and think, yeah, right. I mean, I did not believe her for a long, long time. But what I understand now is I am not a bad person trying to be good. I am a sick person trying to get well. And that's a very different thing. Um, we also went to, uh, my sponsor at the time was on the East Coast, and I went to see her because that separation was killing me, and I needed a dose of her. And so I uh, met her in Savannah, and we went to a house of worship, not my faith, not her faith, and but it was a house of worship that was very significant in terms of someone else's um cultural, religious and cultural history. And on the wall in the back of the church, um, there was a dedication to a, a, a member who had died. And it referred to him as an ornament of God. And I just thought, that's it. Um, you know, I am an ornament of God. And, you know, sometimes I dim my own little bulb a little bit, but I got much shinier um, doing the fourth step. And what I really learned is that every time I think I need to be someone else, I really just need to be more of myself. 
And when we first started that fourth step, she would say, you know, she would talk to, be, to me about becoming more of myself, and I would say, who would want more of this? I don't want more of this. Why would anybody else? I mean, that's how sick I was, and that's how lowly I felt about myself. But really, this comes up all the time now because... Anytime I compare myself, which is a, a problem for me to this day, every time I think I need to be someone else, I really just need to be more of myself, and that is the solution. And doing the fifth step at the same time as the fourth, how I talk about myself now in my outside voice is very different how, than how I talk to myself in my inside voice. I don't, I'm not one of those people who berates myself or, you know, you're such an asshole or you're such a this, this, this. I really don't do that, but I don't have the clarity about what I'm doing and who I am when I'm telling myself about me. But when I use my outside voice with somebody else, um, I get that clarity, and, and I think that that's God's handiwork. And so I think about admitting to God, to um, to myself, to God, to another human being, um, anything about myself. When I use that outside voice, I just get so much more clarity. So that's the gift for me about making a phone call, talking to my sponsor. Um, it, it, it's, it makes a big difference for me. When I hit the sixth and seventh step, I took out a pad of paper and took out a pen, and then I licked at it, you know, every day for day on. Well, what am I supposed to do? You know, how does this work? Blah, blah, blah. And I called the same sponsor that I had at the time, and she was tough. She was, her, like, her bedside manner was like Nurse Ratchet. She was like, you know, hit me on the head with a two-by-four, which clearly I needed at the time. But she's like, ah, put away the list, you know, and this, you know. That's how she talked to me, you know. Gear it, put your pen away, put the list away. You're not in charge of this. Just get out of the way. Um, she said, you know, this is God's time. It's not your time. Just get out of the way. And, of course, she was right. And um, those character defects, those shortcomings, man, it was like whack-a-mole. Just in my face. Every time I thought, okay, let's work on this. It was like I was barely into that. Boom, another, that one recedes. Another one pops up. I mean, I was swimming in my um, shortcomings. And there were days where I was drowning. I mean, they were just front and center. And I guess that's what she meant by, you know, get out of the way. Uh, I, I wasn't in love with God's plan for me at that time, which was to be uh, swimming with them. But... What I came to understand was I looked at my shortcomings in a diff very different way than I had even in the fourth step. I looked at how I arrived at them. I did not wake up one day to say, I'm going to become a self-righteous person. I'm going to judge and criticize I love self-pity. I think I'm going to take that on. It was not something that I woke up and decided, you know, let me have a dose of this. Um, and I looked at where I got them, and I wasn't blaming anybody. 
I looked at what the circumstances of my family were, and they didn't have anybody's face on them. Oh, that one, was, I got that from my mother. I got that, you know. It just wasn't like that. It just ended up being, this is how it happened. Um, and each one of them saved my life. They kept me from killing myself as a child and in my family. This gets to me, too. So what I could do was to thank them for saving my life, all of them. It was really, and it wasn't like, okay, now I'm going to make my list and thank them. It was like as they came up and they reared their head, I could just say, now I understand why I started doing that. And thank you, you saved my life, and it's time to say goodbye, because now it's, it's just hurting me now. And all these things that were killing me weren't going to go away. I wasn't going to get relief from them until I thanked them with a lot of love and said, and I'm going to say goodbye now. And so I got a lot of relief. You know, did they all go away? Of course not. You know, blah, blah, blah. I'm human. Um, but I'm not in the same kind of pain from them and I'm not in confusion or denial about them anymore, and I'm much more generous and gracious with them and myself as a result of this. Um, and, you know, again, I had the willingness, and God decided that I was ready to be relieved of the acuteness at least, of my shortcomings. And I also like the saying, uh, I'm done with it, but apparently it's not done with me. So, you know, I can be willing for something to go away, but if I'm not ready for it, it's not done with me. And I can kick and stream and fight and insist, go, go, go. They don't go, because for me, that's not how it works. Um, So... I, I think I'm going to come back to this because there's some current sixth and seventh step work that I'm doing that if I have time I'd like to share. Um, the amends part of my work was very interesting. I, I didn't know, I, I was at the beginning, well, who is this for? Is it amends for me? Is it an amends for you? I, I didn't understand the mechanics. And sometimes I feel like in Al-Anon we don't talk about the logistics and the mechanics of stuff. Enough. I mean, maybe people are getting that from their sponsors, but I really like that. What would you say? What words did you use? Because I don't have them. And when I first came into Al-Anon, what, what my intention was in my head, something else came out my lips, you know, which was really, you know, I wanted to be loving and say something like, how can we work this out? And what came out was, what the hell is wrong with you? I mean, there was just this like... And then it was no surprise that the conversation didn't go well. And then I was like, well, how did that happen? Um, I don't get it. Um, so it was very, you know, how does this work? Who is it immense for? And I asked my sponsor, and, you know, just we talked about it a lot. And what I came to understand for me, and I think it maybe it's different for everybody, for me, um, it's... It's for both of us. So it is to set myself free, whether it's a little niggling feeling that I said something not very nice, um, like to a cashier, or whether it's shame because I was 
reckless or I was careless with somebody else, and I am not letting go of it because I'm ashamed of it. And so this is what frees me from that shame is to show up and acknowledge it, but it's for that other person. And so um, how amends work for me is I say what I did and how I did it. I do not say why I did it. I do not tell anybody that I said this or did this because I had a bad childhood. They don't care, and I don't lay that at somebody else's feet. That's the why. But I say what I did and how. And the what I did is with incredible specificity. Not like this stuff, sort of an outside issue, but it's an amends issue. Sort of in the United States, culturally, we're in this place now where there's a lot of public things like, I'm sorry if you got hurt. That That's not for me in terms of amends. So my amends is to say with specificity exactly what I did. This is what I said this is what I did. And the how, because I'm no longer reckless, but I'm still careless, is through carelessness. I was being self-centered, and I didn't listen to you. Um, I was so consumed with my own feelings that I did not listen to your feelings, and I didn't care enough about your feelings. Whatever that carelessness is, is is how. I was careless, and I say that word. I was careless with your feelings, and that's the how. Um, and, And that works for me. It frees me, and it seems to work well with other people as a side benefit. Um, so... I wanted to, I think I've got time just to share a little bit about, because I think, you know, I know for me in my recovery, it helps to hear those things, the how other people have done things. So this is just a little piece that's a little piece of an amends that I want to share. And I said, during our years together, there were ways that I was unable to tolerate my own mistakes, and I was at times both self-righteous about my behavior and unforgiving of yours. I remember with great sadness those times that I was judgmental and blameful. For that, I am deeply sorry. There were ways that I was so stuck in my past that I could not fully be with you. I am sorry that I withheld parts of myself from you. My need for order often led to controlling behavior that I know caused you great frustration and pain. I held you to impossibly high standards. I am sorry for the times that I carried and couldn't let go of resentments due to my inability to know or say how I felt. My inability to know and be honest with myself caused you harm and damaged our relationship. That's what works for me. Um, You know, and I keep myself, of course, out of having to make amends by checking my behavior and by... um, Sort of continually, I don't have a formal 10-step practice. I know other people do, whether in the morning or the evening. Okay, what happened the day before? What happened today? What did I do well? What didn't I do so well? What could I improve upon? Um, I don't have that. My antenna is pretty uh, tuned to the signals uh, that are there for me. The ones that prior to recovery... I would step on the accelerator and drive right over each and every one of them. Every signal during the day, 
I would just drive right over it. And now I know what the signals are for me. I know what niggling feelings are. Uh, you know, I have a better sense of um, when my shortcomings are out and about and playing with you or playing with me. Um, so I, I do spend a lot of time checking in my, with myself. It's not formal. I know that works for other people. But what I love is that someone in the, um, from the Puerto Vallarta, uh, Al-Anon, passed along to me something they heard in a Puerto Vallarta uh, meeting, which was somebody's 10th step, which was, uh, what was my plan, what happened, and who got hurt or who got helped or served? And I love that because that first question, what was my plan? I always have a plan, whether it's conscious or not, right? I mean, there is a plan. Um, so I love that assumption that I had the plan. Whether I'm paying attention or not, I have a plan. And then what happened? And if it deviated, you know, one, how did I go sideways? Or if it went exactly according to plan, you know, what was my thinking with that plan? And if somebody got hurt, what was my plan? Because that's my problem. Um, and that's what I need to make the amends for. Um, but also remembering that balance, who got helped or served. Because I have plans and things happen, and I don't always hurt people. In fact, I less and less hurt people and more and more help or serve people, and that's because of you and because of, of Al-Anon. And uh, prayer is a big part of it, and... I like that uh, praying only for knowledge of God's will for me and the power to carry that out. It gives me uh, structure. I know there are people, I have a friend, she prays for parking spaces, she prays for, you know, coupons and discounts, and I mean, everything is God-related her, which makes me laugh, and I say to her, Pat, sometimes it's just chicken or fish, check the box. I mean, it's like... You know, I don't personally feel, and she laughs, which is, which is good. But, you know, I, um, I don't pray for things that just doesn't seem to work for me. But especially if I've gone off track in some way, it's like, you know, all right, um, you know, what is it that I was supposed to get from this? And if you were just standing by looking like, come on, you know, knock it off, um, let me get back to your will for me. Because I don't, I don't, the way my higher power works is my higher power doesn't put obstacles in my way or say, you know, I'd like you to screw up in this particular way. Um, I just don't feel like that. If something happens, you know, I, that's usually my humanity um, that's sort of directing things. But then God is there to say, you know, and look at this for a moment. You know, don't drive, just drive over it. You know, what's here so you don't repeat this mistake? Um, and I love the um, practicing the principles in all my affairs. And really in the fourth step, it was that sponsor who said to me, no picking and choosing. She was like, get a flashlight out, we're lighting this up. No dark corn, you don't get to say, oh, no, I'm not going to go there. She's like, if you're working with me, we're going to light it up. Every little thing you've got in there, um, we're going to look at. And we worked on work. I mean, you know, I was sloughing off, and finally she was like, you know, are they paying you? Do you get a paycheck every two weeks? I said, yes. And she said, well, what do you owe them for that? 
Well, that was a good question, and it cleaned up a lot of stuff. What do I owe them for that paycheck I get every two weeks? You know, it helped. Um, and that I did, that relationship I did um, after the sixth and seventh step um, move um, away from a sponsorship relationship with her. I think I, I, I needed a gentler touch. And the other thing I realized is that um, if I thought she would disapprove of something, I didn't tell her about it. Um, and I thought, you know, really? Basically lying to your sponsor? You're lying to yourself. What is the point? What is the point of having a sponsor you're lying to? And to me, you know, of course, it was lying by omission. So, uh, you know, I would just go around her because I didn't want to hear her say, what are you doing, or that's not such a good idea. And when I went to look for a new sponsor, I made a commitment to myself that I wouldn't do that, that I wasn't going to lie, that I was going to lay everything at her feet that I was afraid of and ashamed of, and eventually, there was a third thing I added to that, which was uh, when I didn't know the, have the wisdom to know the difference if something was, I, if, I, if there was something that I needed to accept or something I needed to have the courage to change, and I didn't have the wisdom, so I would bring that to my sponsor. So those were the three things: afraid of, ashamed of, and no wisdom to know the truth. But I want to go back to the sixth and seventh step because. Um, this is sort of a current thing I'm working on, which is um, I was unable to forgive my dad, and I knew I was not going to be able to as long as he walked on the earth. And when he was lowered, being lowered into the casket and the hills were behind him, and I, I could wish him safe passage, and that was my forgiveness uh, and, and my hope for him that he would find there whatever he could never find here. And um, my mom is still alive. She is going to be 84 this year. And um, if some of you were here this morning, I happened to mention after my dad's death, oh, things just got so much worse, which was surprising because I thought she was going to get better and we were going to get better until somebody said to me, well, for God's sakes, now she's an unemployed codependent. <laughs> So things got worse, although after a year, they've, they've gotten a little more even keel. The conversations were just crazy. But I was talking to my sponsor and said, oh, yeah, I really want to forgive her while she's still alive. I would really, really, really like to do that. But I was struggling. And my sponsor said, you know, uh, my mom stood in the doorway while my dad beat me unconscious. And she said, for me, some things I find are unforgivable. And nobody in Al-Anon had ever said that to me before. Um, so I realized that I thought I had to forgive my mom and that that was the only way I was going to get relief or our relationship would improve. And she said, I have found that when I cannot forgive someone, acceptance is the key to freedom for me. And, of course, acceptance is not a new Concept. I mean, it's in the um, serenity prayer, which I love. Um, and I have accepted a lot of things and worked on accepting a lot of things. 
But what I got to, so, you know, first I thought, okay, accepting what happened with my mom, accepting who she is, who she was then, accepting who she is now. But it actually morphed into this whole other thing, which is my lack of acceptance of who other people are and how that shows up is how much time I spend in my brain, which is probably 90% of my brain time, thinking about everything you said or didn't say that you should have said or shouldn't have said, and what you've done, what you haven't done. It is just nonstop, busy, 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 busy chatter about you. And I don't care if it's a stranger in the supermarket or someone that I love dearly that I see all the time. I just spend time, boop, 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 thinking about, God, I can't believe she said that. Really? You know? Or, you know, and every little hrump and, oh, God, Jesus Christ. You know, every little shrug, surprise, disappointment, all of that is a lack of acceptance of who you are. And whether you're a stranger, it's like, we're crazy. What would surprise me about, I don't care whether it's, you know, casual racism that someone says in a supermarket, why does that surprise me anymore? It shouldn't, because I know that we're crazy, all of us, and that, you know, there's levels of stuff when people are mean, unkind, impatient, short-tempered, stranger Strangers, that should not surprise me. When people I love are doing the same thing they've always done, why would I be surprised and have to chew on that? What is that? It is my lack of acceptance of who all of you are, however close you are to me. Zero acceptance. And what I realized is that the shortcoming is that I am comparing myself to you and trying to make myself look better so I can feel better. And that illusion that I can feel better or somehow safe um, by being better than you is killing me. Um, and I wasn't willing to stop all that comparison because I wasn't willing to give up that illusion I had that I was going to be safe. And if I didn't have that, what would I have? One, what would I do with all that time? Like, I'm not a knitter or anything like that. If I gave up all that time, you know, what was I going to be doing? But how was I going to be safe? Um, and what I came to was that feeling safe is not the same thing as being free. I'm not talking about physical safety, which is free, freedom, uh, and above all else, the most important thing. But feeling safe is not the same thing as being free. And now I will do anything uh, to be free. And for the, free to me means being untethered from my past, and it means being untethered from how the disease works in my life. And the other thing I got to was that freedom has a price. It is not free. I don't know why they call it that, because it is not. And I was not willing to pay the price of giving up, thinking about you, and ruminating about you. I did not want to pay that price. And I think that when I first started in recovery, I was so desperate that I was willing to pay the price. I was willing to go to meetings, which was a price, right? I was willing to listen to a sponsor. I was willing to do the readings. I mean, I was willing to pay those prices because I was desperate. And as time has gone on in my recovery, 
maybe I got less willing to pay the price for that. But, you know, this thing about acceptance and my unwillingness to stop thinking about what you, everything you're saying and doing, you know, that's the price I have to pay in order to get free and move toward acceptance. And, uh, man, I went kicking and screaming. I cried. I cried. <laughs> you know, I don't want to give that up. I want to think about you. I just didn't. It wasn't even so much I wanted to think about you. I didn't want to not think about you. Um, you know, and, um, but I want to be free and I'm, I'm willing. And so what I've noticed from that, um, and it's funny because I say to my sponsees all the time when, you know, crap comes up in their life and stuff comes up, and I say, I just cannot believe how much your higher power loves you to have given you that. That's a lot of love. And now I'm saying that to myself, which is, um, you know, that's a lot of love to say you're going to have to figure out something else to do with your brain besides you people. And so what happened is my, um, right after I started, you know, sort of getting this awareness, my 20-year-old nephew with Asperger's, uh, his first plane ride by himself, his first time away from his parents, he came to visit me for nine, for five nights. And, um, you know, this is a guy with a completely neutral affect. I don't know what's going on in there. What a challenge for an Alan honor. Um, I mean, I don't spend the same time as his parents do, which probably picks up on a lot of the nuances, but I have no idea. You know, just very neutral affect. So I got to say, before he came, I just got into prayer, and my prayer was to be in total acceptance of who he is and 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 meet him where he is. And I can tell you, I had not one moment's worth of impatience, which if you knew me, that's a miracle. I mean, you know, this is a guy who, as you're walking out the door, you've got your coat on, I've got my purse on, and there's a knot in his shoe. Well, he's going to stop and undo that knot, whether it's one minute or six minutes. I stood there with my purse on because I had just dropped into this little miraculous meeting him where he is and acceptance. I've noticed that I'm asking people more questions about who they are uh, because I have the time. And since I'm not thinking about, you know, who they are, oh, why don't I just ask them? Well, that's new. So, and of course, the big surprise of asking people about themselves is they feel all warm and fuzzy and happy and more close to you. So I, I'm getting some immediate feedback about this, which is um, people are liking me more, um, and I'm liking other people more. I said to my best friend, I um, spent the night at her house because she's closer to the airport before I flew out on a Wednesday. I stayed there Tuesday, and I texted her from the airport. I said, um, uh, I think I had forgotten how fun you are. Have you always been fun? Because I thought you lost that. And she's like, nope, I've always been fun. <laughs> so I was the one who lost her fun because of what I was doing in my head. So, you know, I'm, I, I refound my best friend's fun, and, um, and I, I'm asking people things, and I'm finding patience and grace. Um, but it was a tough one. And, um, you know, we'll see how that works with my mom.
don't know yet, but um, but I'm willing. And, you know, again, we'll see what, you know, God decides I'm ready for, but um, seems to be ready. Seems, seems the, the signs are pointing to God thinks I'm ready because uh, it seems to be working. So um, I'm almost ready to close, but there are a couple of things... Um, well, I got what I want to say also about sponsorship and having a sponsor is that my gratitude is beyond belief for the sponsors that all of them that I've had. And this reading says, today I recognize that there are people in my life through whom God works. There are people who in some mysterious way are there when my need is greatest and help me to save my own life and the lives of those I love. I understand that this is a gift that I repay by giving it to someone else. I think I thank these people with all my heart. I am inspired by their generosity because I know firsthand how much it means. You know, in Al-Anon, people have a hard time um, finding sponsors. And I think it's because, uh, well, you know, we overdid and so balance, right? For me, when I'm learning something, I swing way to the other side because I've got very black and white thinking. And when I practice, I'm like way on the other end. And then it takes me a while to come back to something more middle um, and to find some balance. And, um, you know, when you find balance, become a sponsor if you can. I mean, there are so many people who are desperate for sponsorship, and I have to say it is a tremendous part of my recovery, the work that I do with my sponsees. I get, I know so much more out of it than they do, and you will too. Your recovery will just jump light years ahead. You don't have to work all 12 steps. Just stay ahead of them by, like, at least half a step, you know. But a step ahead, that's all you have to be. And then have them take the scenic route so they don't catch up with you too fast. Um, but um, please do because I do think of it as spiritual waste. When you have something to give and you're not, it's spiritual waste. And there are people who are desperate for your experience, strength, and hope. And you get to decide how much time um, and what your boundaries are. And it's a good way to practice being a loving witness and uh, we're not there to to fix. I love my sponsees. They're, you know, two of them are over 10 years. You know, I don't think about their problems when we're not talking, when we're not together, because they're not mine. So it's just a great way also. I don't obsess. I don't think. I don't track them down unless somebody's in crisis. You know, one of them is getting a divorce, and it was the separation. Well, we've upped it, so we talk every week. If I don't hear from her, how are you doing? But when nobody's in crisis, they can call me when they need me. And, you know, I may ask them about what what kind of work they're doing because they have to be working. If they're not working, my recovery isn't so good dealing with them. Um, So I just would encourage you to ask for a sponsor. If you're new, um, it will help you tremendously. And if you haven't yet become a sponsor, as soon as you think you have something to give, it's probably because you do. Um, So please give. This I can't read. This will make me cry. You want to come up and read this? <laughs> no. Can anybody read without crying? Can you read without crying? This one lays me out. Oh, God. She's going to make me do it. 
Oh, God. All right, I'll do this in closing. Um, Today I will be gentle with myself. Only I know how hurt I have been and how frightened I am capable of being. I will hold that terror-stricken part of me with loving, kind hands and ask for help from a higher, wiser source. I will stand as the care... (sighs) I will stand as the caretaker of my own soul and protect it. I will take risks by not pretending to myself or others that I am fearless or by playing tough and hiding underneath layers of denial. If I am to invite my spirit to live freely within me, I will need to be both loving and strong. Strong enough to live with my own weakness and loving enough to extend a compassionate hand to myself when I need it. I accept and love myself not as I think I should be, but as I am. That's what I've got. (laughs) Thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed the podcast. Sobercast is ad-free, and we'd like your help in order to keep it that way. So if you'd like to help us be self-supporting by pledging a dollar to a month, visit Sobercast.com and look for the donate links. Thank you very much.